happy Sabbath to everybody, wherever you may be, whether it's the uh, start of the, the day and for some other ones, uh, Sabbath may, may be nearing the end or over, but it's just uh, great to be with you. I, I, the title of this message is uh, Let Us Approach God, and it's based on Hebrews 10. So why don't we just uh, go straight into Hebrews 10 and, and start studying this topic of approaching God and let us approach God. And Hebrews 10 and verse, verse 11 is where we're going to begin. We're going to read these first uh, few verses uh, as introduction and backdrop for what we're going to be studying together. And in verse 11, the Apostle Paul is explaining, uh, he's really explaining the what what is the difference now with the sacrifice of Christ versus the sacrifices that were carried out of the temple that, that God also commanded. And in verse 11, he says, Now every high priest stands ministering by day by day, offering the same sacrifices repeatedly, which are never able to remove sins. And we're not going to get into all the technicalities of, of all of these things. Uh, we're not going to go back uh, to the Old Testament and do a comparison study of this part, we're going to focus on the part that comes later, but this is a good introduction, a good backdrop of what he's talking about and where we're going, all of us, in our calling and in our relationship with God. And this is the foundation of all of that, because the, the high priest was ministering day by day, and he says, offer, offering the same sacrifices, but, the, but he was clarifying that those sacrifices do not remove sins. And then in verse 12, when he's talking about Jesus Christ, obviously our high priest, he said, by he... After offering one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God. And this is of God the Father, as we know and understand that from Psalm 110. And it says, since that time, he is waiting until his enemies are placed as a footstool for his feet. And this is, this is very important because this is how we know who God the Father is and, and Jesus Christ is, really in, from prophecy, from what they declared. That, that God the Father told uh, to, to Jesus Christ, our Lord and our high priest, sit at my right hand I, I, until I make your enemies as a footstool. We're not going to go there for the sake of time to Psalm 110, but that's what he says. And he it, it basically is explaining this offering. And in verse 14, verse 14, it says, For by one offering he has obtained eternal perfection for those who are sanctified. And it's very interesting, if we stop here and think about it, what is eternal perfection? It's, what, it's our destiny. It's what God really wants for each and every one of us. He wants eternal perfection. He want the, God the Father and Jesus Christ wants us to be perfect. We're going to go to some other scriptures to talk about that a little bit later. But that is exactly what God uh, has for us. He, he has obtained eternal perfection, and he says for, the, for, for us, for those who are sanctified. And we know we are sanctified. We're sanctified in the blood of the Lamb, in the blood of Jesus Christ. We are sanctified and we're cleansed. And he says that by that one offering, he has obtained eternal perfection. There's nothing else lacking or missing or needed in addition to that. Obviously, we have to continue in this way of life. We're going to see that. But as far as the sacrifice, as far as the forgiveness, the only, the only thing that can really uh, forgive our sins and, and, and really blot out our iniquities and all of that is just, is that offering, is that offering of Jesus Christ. By that offering of his own blood, the perfect, the perfect God, creator God, through whom everything was made, by his offering, he has obtained eternal perfection for you and I. And that's what God wants, eternal perfection. But we know that this perfection is a process and we're going to, then get to the verses that we want to study in detail today. But this is as a backdrop to, uh, to remember who is our high priest, to remember what is the sacrifice of, of Jesus Christ, the, the perfect sacrifice for all humanity, not only for us, but it has to be accepted and you have to enter into a covenant with God. And then it says in verse 15, and the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us, for after he had previously said, this is a covenant that I will establish with them after those days, says the Lord. I will give my laws into their hearts, and I will inscribe them in their minds. And that's the witness, that's the witness that we have 
God's Holy Spirit in us. If because God is doing that, He is giving us His laws into into our in our hearts, and He's inscribing them in our minds. But it's a process. It's not an automatic thing. It's not right away. This is this is a process that takes time. But that's the covenant that we have made at baptism. The covenant is that we are God's and we belong to him. He has paid the price for us and we are bond slaves, as it were, to him, to God the Father and to Jesus Christ. And he's the one that sanctifies us because he is a high priest in heaven above. And, and, and as we're coming closer also to atonement and what all that means, and I know there's been a lot of messages about that. This is just a little bit of that as far as the high priest. He's going to talk a little bit about, about that. And those are not the verses we're going to get to. To, to the verses that we want to get to in detail and study in detail. But he says that under sins and lawlessness, I will not remember ever again. And he does not when we repent and come before him because that sacrifice is applied upon repentance to all of our sins. So he will, does not remember our sins when we come and repent before God. He is full of mercy. We have forgiveness. We have to uh, remember that we have God's Holy Spirit in us and his laws and commandments in our hearts and in our minds to be transformed by those, the, those laws and those commandments. They're not just requirements. Yes, they are requirements, but not only that. They're actually the tool that God uses to transform us. And, and we, have to, we can walk now in that newness of life. And he says, now where remission of these is, it is no longer to no longer necessary to offer sacrifices for sin because the sacrifice of Jesus Christ is perfect sacrifice he has obtained eternal perfection for us but we are not perfected yet fully perfected yet and then it, he encourages us therefore brethren having confidence to enter into the true holiest by the blood of Jesus by a new and living way which he consecrated for us through the veil, that is his flesh. And he's explaining what was, the, what was the shadow of the high priest in the temple offering those sacrifices and entering into the holiest on the day of atonement only after having made the sacrifice and, and do, carrying out what it was needed of him to go into that holy place, the holiest. But now Jesus Christ has done that. And he has consecrated that through the veil, which is his flesh. And then he says, and having a high priest over the house of God. So it is Jesus Christ himself who is our high priest in heaven above. And he has given us all of these freely. This is an amazing gift that we have. The gift of forgiveness and the, and the sacrifice of Jesus Christ to cleanse us from our sin, to, to make possible the transformation of every person that comes to God, the transformation of every person that has made a covenant with God at baptism, like, like, like most of us have, and that have the Holy Spirit within ourselves, that we can then keep those, those laws and those commandments in the spirit of the law, in addition to the letter as well, because they're not, they're not done away with, but they're magnified. And, there, and, and, and really now we can understand the meaning of all of those and the operation of all of those. And we're, gonna, we're going to get here now, the, the title of the message is Let Us Approach God based on this verse 22 here in Hebrews 10. Because it says, let us approach God with a true heart. And this is because of all of these other things. Because Jesus Christ, the creator of heaven and earth, he came and gave his life for us. He came and died. And shed his blood for all of us. And he has opened up the door for us to go into the holiest place. And that's where the presence of Almighty God, God the Father and Jesus Christ, that's their presence. And it's through his blood that we can come into his presence. Every time we kneel down, we are before the very throne of the Most High. And we come in the name of Jesus Christ as he instructed us to pray. And he's something amazing. To, to, to really just think about and meditate on the access that we have to God the Father. Where before, in the, in the Old Testament, 
it, nobody could go into that holiest place except for the high priest and only once a year and under certain conditions. But now it's not only that that holy place, and we know the, the, the veil was torn when Jesus Christ died so that everybody could see. And it's basically showing that now there is access through that, to that through his blood, through his sacrifice. And we understand that. But to know how important that is, what a blessing it is to come before the throne of, of God the Father. And he's, and, and he's encouraging us here in verse 22. And this is where I want for us to spend the majority of the time. We're going to be studying the next few verses and what all these means and other scriptures that go along with this. Because this is just the backdrop of all of the things. And that's, that's many, many, many messages in and of themselves. And many have been given on the subject. In fact, there's a whole series of, of Hebrews of like 40 sermons that Fred gave, and, and, and I highly recommend that, where he goes in detail through all of this. But, but here in verse 22, the Apostle Paul says, let us approach God with a true heart. And what does that mean? What is, how do we approach God with a true heart? Let's go to Jeremiah, Jeremiah 17. Jeremiah 17. And verse 10. And we know Jeremiah 17, 9, we know that the heart is deceitful above all things. And that's that's the reason why Paul is encouraging us to come before God, approach God with a true heart. But in verse 10, God himself says, I, the Lord, search the heart. I try the reins, even to give to each man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his doings. And that fruit of our doings and that and, and, and our ways is everything. It's not it's not only the things on the external, but it's in the internal. Is 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 really who we are. That's why he says, I search the heart. It's interesting this combination because he says, I search the heart, but it's to give man according to his ways, is to what is in their heart. Because we can do one thing on the external and we can do one thing on the outside. And people, and it might be good, and people may think that we're a good person. But God says, like, no, I'm clarifying. I search the heart and try the reins. Because what, what he's concerned about is that heart. That's why, that's why the Apostle Paul says, let us approach God with a true heart. Because God is the one that searches the heart. And he tries the reins. And then that results into our ways and according to our doings. But it's not only on the external. There's a lot of ways and a lot of doings in our heart and in our mind. A lot of thoughts, a lot of emotions, a lot of feelings, a lot of things that go on in our heart and in our mind that nobody else knows about. But the Lord is the one that tries the heart and tries the reins, which is the inward part. It's really our, our feelings, right? And then, and then he says that like he gives to each man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his doings. And, and the Apostle Paul is encouraging us. Let us approach God with a true heart. Let's go to Proverbs 17. For some reason, a lot of these topics is in chapter 17 of different books. But Proverbs 17 and verse 3. And this is what it says. The refining pot is for silver. And the furnace for gold, but the Lord tries the hearts. So it's not only that he searches them. It's not only that he's searching our heart to see whether we have that true heart or not. But it's also that he is refining it. He is trying our hearts. He's, and he's not just testing it. The refining, the refining of the silver and the gold is to make those metals as pure as possible. That's the refining. So the, the, the trying of the heart here is the same thing. It's not just searching it, and it's not just unto judgment. That's part of it. But it's not all of it. Is that it, it, God is trying the heart. And how does he try the heart? He tries the heart to the, the, the trials, the tribulations, but also the successes and the blessings. He tries the heart with everything that he does, with everything that he allows to happen in our lives. He tries the heart to see how are we going to react? 
How are we going to react? And we've seen that with, with uh, you know, all the, the prophets and the kings, especially the kings. And, and, and God wanted to see how are they going to react? And he would put them in special situations, right? When, when Israel had to fight their enemies or they had an attack from somebody else or they had to make certain decisions. Like all of these things was trying the heart. That's what that's what God did with them. But he does that with every single one of us. He he wants to see what are we going to decide? Who like, Are we going to cleave to him? Are we going to come to him? Are we going to put our trust in him? And how are we going to react in, in the trials and tribulations? And how are we going to react in the good times and in the blessings? Because we our nature, really, we tend to we tend to forget about God or go our, or go our own separate way with things and going well. But that's what God wants to see. Do we have a true heart? Do we have a sincere God, a sincere heart towards God? Is that what we what we have? Because it says the Lord tries the heart, and these are through trials and tests and afflictions. Let's go to Psalm 44. Psalm 44, and verse 20. Because this is this is a, a testimony. This is the truth about God. And he says, if we have forgotten the name of our God or stretch out our hands to a strange God, shall not God search these out? For he knows the secrets of the heart. So we are to approach God with a true heart, knowing and understanding the sacrifice of Jesus Christ and the high priest that we have. And but also being very aware that it is God who searches the heart, it is God who tries the heart, and it is also God who knows the secrets of the heart. He knows that, and we know that. But sometimes for us, it's easy to deceive ourselves and think that, well, God is looking away, or he's busy with other things, or no, he, he, he's always looking at the heart. He's looking at the intentions. We will be judged according to the, the things that are in our minds, that our thoughts. That, that's what we're going, what we are being judged according to that. That's what it says in Jeremiah 17:10. He, he searches the heart to give to each man according to his work. And, and, and it's also the thoughts. It's not just the outward things that we do, but our intentions as well. And sometimes we don't even know that there's that there's things that God wants to take out of our heart and cleanse them, purify them, just like that that, that furnace of fire that tries the gold and the silver. That's what that's what God wants to do with us because He knows the secrets of secrets of the heart. He knows He knows what's deep in us. He also knows how we've been hurt in the past. We all have by many people. Sometimes the people that love us the most, they hurt us the most. That's true. But God wants to cleanse all of that. He wants to take out everything that's in our hearts, good and bad, and the good to, to make it flourish and to make it bear even more fruit and more good works. But he also wants to take all, all the, the hurt, the pain, the, the anguish, the, the, all of these things, anger, all of these things that we may have in our hearts. He wants it out. And not out in a in a you know a vengeful way. No, he wants it out to cleanse it. He wants it out so that we know we know that he is God. That he is the one that cleanses us and tries our hearts. He knows the secrets. He knows what's going on. We cannot hide from him. And I think we know him know that intellectually, but I think it's important to meditate on that, and and not 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 just intellectually, but. Uh, do a, do a meditation of that what are, and, pr and pray about it. What are these thoughts? What are these emotions? What are these things in our heart that are, are preventing us from having a true heart, from having, you know, from having this, this, this clean heart? You know, as, as, as David, we're not going to go to Psalm 51, but we know that's what it says there. That's what he asked God, creating me a pure heart. But part of approaching, approaching God with a true heart doesn't only mean just a clean heart. He wants to create that in us. We, we have to ask him to do that. 
But it's also approaching God with a true heart means approaching God with like truly what we have in our hearts and laying it all before the altar so that he can cleanse it, so that he can purify our hearts, so that he can refine that. When we, when, when we have anger, or we have resentment, or we have pain, we have sadness, when we have all those things, God wants us to approach him with that true heart, with that true heart, good and bad, because he's going to purify it. He's going he's gonna to try it. He's going to test it. And he's not just in affliction. And he's not just in pain. Sometimes he's in blessing. Sometimes he's in comforting us. Even through his comfort, he cleanses our heart too. Because then we know. And we, and we know it again. It's another thing that we know intellectually. But do we really feel it and believe it and know it and live according to that? And believe him. That he, that he has compassion upon the poor. That he like binds up the wounds of the brokenhearted. And you know what? We are all brokenhearted to one degree or another, but we all are. We all are broken. We all have pain. We all have uh, things that we have suffered and things that we have brought upon ourselves because we're broken. And sometimes because of that hurt, we also in turn hurt others. That's why we have to we have to forgive others and we have to be forgiven. And that's exactly the condition that God put to, for him to forgive our sins, that we would forgive one another. So we have to approach God with a true heart. What else does it say here in, in Hebrews 20, uh, 10, 22? It says, with full conviction of faith. With full conviction of faith. And what is that? Conviction means to be, to be uh, convinced, to be convicted completely. That we know, and that we know, that we know, that we know. Let's go to uh, Philippians 1. Philippians 1 and verse 6. In verse 6, it says, being confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Being with full confidence of faith, full, complete confidence of that faith, that he began, that he, that he gave you life and he gave you a purpose. He didn't just create you and I just to live this life and go through the motions and and die, and that's it. No, knowing that we are his workmanship. That's what it is. We are his workmanship. And he has begun that workmanship. And he will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. He will complete it until our Lord Jesus Christ returns. And we have to have that full confidence of faith when we approach God. That's an important, uh, an essential part of that. Let's go back to Hebrews. But let's go to Hebrews 11 where it talks about faith. Because here's the definition just across the page from Hebrews 10 where we've been studying in verse 22. Hebrews 11.1. 1. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. And that is the substance. We know that there's substance. We know that the promises of God are sure. We know. We're convicted. Conviction of things not seen. We cannot see. Our salvation, we cannot see the kingdom of God yet. We cannot see all of that. We cannot see how we're going to be transformed into spirit beings. But that's the promise. That's what it says. We cannot see how we're going to be part of the family of God. The only thing that we can see is that we cre we're created exactly in his image. And we're being shaped into his likeness. That we can see. But faith is really being convinced and convicted. And that's what Jesus Christ told Thomas, right? And, and all his disciples, right? Blessed is the one who has not seen and believes. And that's what we have to do when we approach God. When we approach God, it has to be with a true heart, with all of our heart, good and bad. We don't have to be perfect when we come to God. In fact, he, do, he knows we're not. In fact, that probably would be pretending. Pretending that we don't have trials, pretending that we don't have things that we struggle with. That's why we have to approach with a true heart. He wants to create a new heart, a pure heart. But the requirement when we approach God in the holiest is to approach him with a true heart, but with full conviction of faith. Not doubting, not ever doubting his promises, knowing that he's going to carry it out. 
And one of the one of the things that I often think about when 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 I'm remembering the promises is just remember you didn't ask to be here. You're not here because you wanted to have life because you you wanted to be born. You had nothing you had nothing to say with you being born and to what family and what time and what country what circumstances you had nothing to do with that. So the one who gave me life and the one who gave you life is God by his own will. So he has a purpose and we know that he is good. We know that he is righteous and he has a wonderful purpose for us, but we have to be convinced in our hearts. We have to be convinced that that this is his will. And that he, as we read in Philippians, that he's going to carry it out to, to completion. To completion, that he's not going to take, he's, he's, he's not going to take an incomplete product that he's not going to leave us behind. If we really are doing this, if we're really approaching God, if we really have that relationship with God, with full conviction of faith. And then it says, uh, uh, let's, go, let's go to Hebrews 10, 22 here. It says, our hearts have been being purified from a wicked conscience. So how are our hearts are purified from a wicked conscience? And, it, and this is a process. We're not, we're not there. Our hearts are constantly being purified. But, this is, but, but as far as the forgiveness of sin through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, that's, that's done. That's done. Our part is to come before him and repent. Our part is to continue to be purified, knowing and understanding that we have the law of sin and death within us. Knowing and understanding that we're going to continue to sin, we're going to continue to, to mess up, but that we're going to come before God every time and that we're being purified. But we, ha we come for, with a true heart, confessing our sins before God. And how are we purified? Let's go to Daniel. Daniel 12 and verse 9. Because this is, you know, Daniel was asking, Oh my Lord, what shall the end of all these things be? Right? In, in verse 8. But then, then he said, Go your way, Daniel, for the words are closed up and sealed until the time of the end. And that's the time that we're living in right now. It says, Many shall be purified and made white and refined, but the wicked shall do wickedly. And none of the wicked shall understand, but the wise shall understand. And it, it's interesting because it says many shall be purified and made white. And that's you and I. That's you and I. We're being made white and refined. So next time the question comes up, why are there so many trials and afflictions? So many prayer requests, so many people through going through so much. This is the reason why. Because many are being purified and made white. Many. And that purification, that making white, that ref, that refined, that's what it says, right? <laughs> the the uh, is, is the the silver and the gold is refined, but the Lord tries the heart. And then it says here, many shall be purified. It's talking about people purified and made white. And we're not going to go there, but we know in Revelation it talks about that fine linen, the white linen, are the the pure actions of the saints. That's a purification. That's the refinement. But as we read in Proverbs 17, it says that the Lord tries the heart. The Lord refines those hearts. Because those were the terms that he was using for gold and silver. And that's exactly what he's saying here in Daniel. The many shall be purified and made white and refined. And refined. That's what's going to happen. But there's a requisite. Is that we approach God with a true heart and with full conviction of faith. And we know that this requirement, that this requisite continues to build up. It's not just one thing. It's several things when we're approaching God. Many different things. And he's adding one to the other, to the other, to the other. And we'll see that this is a process. And this is a sequence. Because this is what God is carrying out. But this is what he talks about purification. Many shall be purified and made white and refined at the time of the end. And that's right now. That's right now. All the trials and afflictions and tribulations. It's because of this, because we are being refined, because God is not going to let us not be perfect. He's not going to, he, he's not going to be satisfied with a product that is substandard, that is not perfect. Let's go to Romans, Romans 2. 
talking about the purification. In Romans 2 and verse 28, here, here Paul is telling us, really, what is God desiring? In verse 28, for he is not a Jew who is one outwardly. Why? Because the Lord searches the heart. Because the Lord tries the heart. Because he knows, as we read in the Psalms, right? He knows everything, the secrets of the heart. He's not a Jew, one who is outwardly, neither is that circumcision which is external in the flesh. Rather, he is a Jew, one who is inwardly, and circumcision is of the heart. This is That's the beginning of it. The circumcision of the heart is the beginning of this conversion process by where he's changing, changing completely our hearts. But we have to approach God with that true heart every time that we come, come before him. It says in the spirit and not in the letter, not the outward stuff. That will come. That's part of it. Those are fruits. They're visible. But it's not the letter of the law that changes us. Is the spirit and the intention of the law, because that's what's in our hearts and in our minds. That's what he, that's what he wrote, as we read in Hebrews, that he would make this covenant with us, writing his commandments and his laws in our hearts and in our minds. And then he says, whose praise is not from men, but from God, because man can only see the external. And what happened to those who were seeking praise from men? Jesus Christ did not approve of them. In the Gospels, that's, that's, that's the reason is because they were seeking, you know, the, the, the Pharisees, the scribes, they were seeking the glory of man and not the glory of God. They were seeking the praise of, from man. That's why Jesus Christ instructed, like, when you pray, pray, pray in private. When you fast, don't let anybody know. Just, just do it yourself. It's because what is important is I look at the heart. That's what he said, that, you know, your father who is in heaven, who is in secret, which goes back to what we read, right? In, in Jeremiah and in, in, and in Proverbs and in Psalms, about the, the Lord tries the hearts. He knows the secrets of the heart. Who sees in secret, he will reward you outwardly. But we have to come with a true heart. And if our intention, our intention is only to get praise from men, like it says here in Romans 2.29, that's not going to be pleasing to God. That doesn't cut it. That's not enough. The challenge is much higher, much higher than that. But let's go back to Hebrews 10. Hebrews 10 and verse 22. Because we see here, we see what is, what is the condition. Let us approach God with a true heart, with full conviction of faith, being convinced of what he's going to do. Our hearts having been purified from a wicked conscience. And this is through the circumcision of the heart. And this is really because when he, when he, when there's circumcision, there's, there's cleansing, there's purification. It's, it's, it's. That's what God wants to do. Is when there are not things hidden. That's what He means. That's why. That's why He, 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 He does that spiritually. That there's not anything unclean, anything hidden, anything that we don't want God to see. Anything that we don't want him to, to, to get to. That's why it says that we have to be purified from a wicked conscience. Because sometimes it's, the conscience has to be trained. And if we have not been trained, we, we, we have a wicked conscience. It, it's, it's really, it's really our, our, our carnal nature to sin and to have these things in our minds. Because what are the things that we do at first? Like we, we, we tend to... We tend to talk about others or gossip or, or be angry at somebody and not letting them know. Or there's, there's a lot of things. There's a lot of things. But we have to approach God with a true heart so that he can purify us from that weakened conscience so that he can, through his spirit, he can let us know, hey, you know what, that's wrong. I know it's just your thought in your heart, but you got to take it out. You got to take it out. You cannot do that. You cannot condemn your brother. You cannot, you cannot do that because... Only God sees the heart, not us, when it comes to our brethren or to others, other people, family, whoever. And then it says, after having, you know, been purified from a wicked conscience, it says, and our bodies having been washed were pure water. 
let's go to let's go to Ephesians 5 we know this memory scriptures but our bodies no, notice that notice the progression here because it's a true heart conviction of faith our hearts have been purified and then our bodies so it starts in the heart it starts with the true heart with conviction of faith then our hearts are purified and that wicked conscience and then our entire bodies are are washed with pure water everything that we do everything that that we say that we do that we think because that's the level that god expects and he wants that's what he said the sacrifice of jesus christ through his sacrifice he has obtained eternal perfection for all of those who are being changed who are being transformed right now ephesians 5 and verse 25 and he says uh, husbands the apostle paul husbands love your own wives in the same way that christ also loved the church and gave himself for it so that he might sanctify it having cleansed it with the washing of the water by the word and that's the power of the holy spirit that's the washing of the water that's why water is always symbolic of the, the holy spirit because he washes he washes the church and the church is every single one of us it's every one of our bodies that's why it says our body cleansed without without cleansing without washing and we are also collectively the body of christ that's why he says that he might sanctify having cleansed it with the washing of the water through the holy spirit by the word by the word of god and the spirit of god that's how we're cleansed that's the operation that god is is carrying out in each and every one of us and collectively as well so we have to approach god with a true heart full conviction of faith and then having uh, being purified our hearts being being purified but then our whole body being cleansed let's go to uh, colossians colossians 1 colossians 1 and verse 21 Because this is talking about the same thing. We read it. That's why that's why we read those first verses at the beginning in, in Hebrews 10, talking about our high priest and talking about how it's no longer those sacrifices at the temple by the high priest in the physical, but it's the sacrifice of Jesus Christ Himself and how we can approach God the Father in the in the holiest, in the holy of holies. And that's what we that's what we will do. That's what we are doing every day when we when we come on our knees. And the Day of Atonement reminds us of that, reminds us of, of, of the ripping of the veil and coming into the Holy of Holies, that we have this access to God, but there are those conditions. There are those things that God expects of us and wants of us. Even if we are not doing it perfectly yet, but we're growing in all of these things. Colossians 1 and verse 21, For you were once alienated and enemies in your minds by wicked works. but now he has reconciled you and how has he reconciled us and and, that, and that's what it says like our hearts have been being purified right from a wicked conscience and we were alienated in our minds by wicked works but he has reconciled us how in the body of his flesh through death through his death through his sacrifice he paid the penalty so that we can be free to obey so that we can be free to approach God so that we can be free to really share with him with God approaching God before his throne truly not 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 pretending like we're perfect not putting on a facade not just trying to do good works on the outside that's good and those those things are good fruits but is is really being having that freedom to come before God as we are not wanting to stay as we are for him to change us through through his laws and his commandments but to have that true freedom mainstream christianity talks about freedom and talks about uh, all of these things but from a different angle when they've set aside the commandments of god when they set aside the very tools that god ordained for us to be transformed but he has reconciled you and me in the body of his flesh through death and he says to present you holy and unblameable and impeachable before him. That's what he's doing. It says he has reconciled us so that he may present us this way, unblameable and unimpeachable before him with a, with a clean heart. But that's his work. We are his workmanship. We are the product. 
But we have to cooperate. We have to do our part. We have to yield to God. We have to let him guide us through his spirit. We have to let ourselves be washed. Our hearts be circumcised. Our bodies be washed. And be cleansed in that. And this is what he's going to do. But there's a condition. Verse 23 here in Colossians 1. If indeed you continue in the faith. Grounded and steadfast. And, it, and, and this goes together with what you saw. With full conviction of faith. Knowing that the things in the scriptures are true. And they're going to come true. But this is a requirement. This is, this, this is a requirement. If indeed that's the condition. If indeed you continue in the faith. Grounded and steadfast in the word of God. And are not moved away from the hope of the gospel. There's been many, many attacks on the church. And no one is exempt from these attacks. And that's why it's important that we continue in the faith grounded and steadfast in the word of God. And that we're not moved away from the hope of the gospel. Because there's many, many attacks from every side. Internal, external, from Satan. From, from the world, from all, all angles. We've seen it recently in many ways with many people. But he wants for us to not be moved away from the hope of the gospel, which we heard. It says, which you have heard and which was proclaimed in all the creation that is under heaven, of which I, Paul, became a servant. Meaning everybody knows. Everybody knows that, that, there's, that this is intelligent design at a minimum. Everybody knows that this world could not have come by happenstance. Even if they want to convince themselves otherwise with the theory of evolution and all these other lies. There's something in their heart, because he's put eternity in our heart. There's something in our heart that wants to live forever. There's something in our heart that is happy when we have a, a, a greater purpose. When we have goals and things that are outside of ourselves, that are greater than ourselves. When we pursue those things. Why? Because God designed it that way. They might not see it. They might not understand it. But that's what it is. That's why it says it was proclaimed in all the creation under heaven. Psalm 19, that's what it says, right? The heavens declare the glory of God. They really are screaming out loud of the power and glory and majesty of God. They are. But people don't want to see it. People just don't want to see that. But it takes... It takes also something special. Let's go to Luke, Luke 24. It takes something special. And you and I have been the recipients of that special gift. We have been called. In Luke 24, this is Jesus Christ after he had, he had resurrected and then he, he showed himself to his disciples. And they, at first they didn't believe that it was him. But once they saw him and he convinced them, like, it's me, touch me, you know. And then he ate with them. In verse 44, Luke 24, he said to them, these are the words that I spoke to you when I was yet with you. That all the things which were written concerning me in the law of Moses and in the prophets and in the Psalms must be fulfilled. And that he fulfilled all those prophecies concerning him. It doesn't mean that he fulfilled the law so that you don't have to do it. He said all the things that were written concerning him, the Savior, the Messiah, the one, that prophet that was to come, saying that he was him. But here's the key in verse 45, that he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. If God does not open our minds, we, if he didn't do that, if he hadn't done that, we wouldn't know a thing. We're not better than anybody else. It's all... By the grace of God that he has given us, that he has given us understanding and eyes to see, ears to hear, and a heart to love him. Because that's what he wants. That's what he expects. He expects that, that we love him in return because that love is so amazing. That understanding, that sacrifice of Jesus Christ as we read. Those things are absolutely precious. They're, they're tremendous. They're incredible. We have to really... Stop and meditate on them and believe them and know them and feel them. That's the reason God made us with feelings, so that we would feel this. This is not just about feeling. There's things to do. There's a lot to do. But it's an operation. It's a spiritual operation. It's not a physical operation. It's not in the external. Those things will flow, but those are only the result of it. Let's go to 1 Peter 1. 1 Peter 1 and verse 10. 
And this is this is talking about th that salvation. It says concerning which salvation the prophets who prophesied of the grace that would come to you have diligently searched out and intently inquired. And this is this is that salvation. This is the gift. This is just kind of summarizing it all. That's what he's talking about, the salvation that the prophets who prophesied of the grace that would come to us, because all of those scriptures, as we read in Luke, that were concerning Jesus Christ, concerning the Messiah, that they were fulfilled, that he did the sacrifices we read at the beginning of Hebrews. All of these things, all of these things are the promises. And, 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 and we have searched out, you know, and diligently inquired. But this is, this is what it says, searching into what way, in what manner, of time the spirit of christ which was in them was indicating testifying beforehand the sufferings of christ and these glories that would follow so the prophets that was all written beforehand so that it would happen and it happened exactly as they would say because it was because it was the same one the lord god of the old testament who inspired that the one who came in the flesh the one who became jesus christ and this, this is amazing when we read this, these next few verses because it explains it all and it ties it all together. To whom it was revealed that not for themselves, but to us, they were ministering these things. Even Daniel, no, go your way, Daniel. Many will be purified, but just go your way. This is not for you. It says, which now have been announced to you by those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. This, this is the operation of the Spirit of God. This is the preaching of the good news, the gospel of the kingdom of God, into which things the angels desired to look. This is an amazing thing. It says, he tells us then what to do. There's things to do. For these reasons, be prepared in your minds. And that's, that's how we are to approach God, right? With a true heart, having our, our, our conscience, a wicked conscience being cleansed. Be prepared in your minds. Be self-controlled. And be fully hoping in the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, so it all goes together. As obedient children, do not conform yourselves to the former lusts as you did in ignorance. But now that you know, now you can be cleansed. Your heart can be tried and be purified. Now your conscience can be purified, your body can be washed with the washing of the water by the word, because now you know. You know that there's a God, you know that he is good, you know that he loves you, you know he has a purpose for you, and you know it's the most amazing thing that, that could ever be, that any person could ever be. And you rejoice in that. And we're about to, to celebrate the Feast of Trumpets. When is the vengeance of God upon those who desolate the earth? And then we're going to celebrate uh, atonement. Being at one with God and the removal of Satan and the, and, and the removal of sin and the, and the purifying of all of that before the kingdom is established at the Feast of Tabernacles, which we will celebrate as well. And then the hope for all humanity in the last great day. It's, it's something amazing. That's why it says, but according in verse 15, as he who has called you is holy, you yourselves also be holy in all your conduct. But only he can make us holy. Only he can cleanse us. Only he can purify us. We cannot do it of ourselves. It says, for it is written, you be holy because I am holy. And we are the children of God. We have been begotten of God. We're not born yet. We're not born of spirit yet. But we are begotten. And, this, and he says, be you holy because I am holy. This is the process of cleansing. This is a process of conversion. Let's go back to Hebrews. Hebrews 10, where we've been studying. Because this is the whole process. But we have to approach God. And it begins there. That's where it all begins. In approaching God with a true heart. Many Protestants say, come as you are. And you know what? Hebrews 10, verse 22, he says, come as you are. With a true heart, not with lies, not with hypocrisy, not who we pretend to be. No, come as we are. Not to stay there, not to ignore the commandments of God, not to ignore his love, his, his laws, and, he, and, and his feast, and, every, and the entire plan of God. No, I, no. That's the beginning. It's come as you are so that God can change you. But with full conviction of faith growing in that. All of these things... That's why, that's why in verse 23 it says, 
Let us hold fast without wavering to the hope that we profess. For he who promises faithful, and that's what we just read in First Peter. That's what we just read. That all of these things, the most amazing things that any human being could ever know and understand and rejoice greatly, they're for us. Without wavering the hope that we profess, knowing that he is faithful. If he, if he gave us life, he's not going to waste it. He's not going to waste it. The only ones who can walk and decide to not go along this is ourselves. Yes, there's going to be trials and tribulations. There. There's, there's the enemy that comes... But at the end of the day, we have, to, we have to come to God because if we really love him and we really uh, desire for him to do his work in us, he's going to do it. He's faithful. He is faithful. And then after this, then he tells us what we are to do next. After holding fast without waving to that hope, after approaching God. Let's go to Mark, uh, Mark 12 first to remind us of the greatest commandments that could ever be. I know these are memory scriptures, but let's let's go back to Mark 12. Because in, in verse 30, it says, And you shall love the Lord your God. Because in verse 28, you know, uh, it, it says one of the scribes asking, What is the greatest commandment of all? And he says, Well, verse 29, the first the first of all the commandments is here, O Israel. Our one God is the Lord, the Lord, understanding there's no other gods before the Lord, besides the Lord. There is none. None. It's God the Father and Jesus Christ. And it's not a monotheistic religion. No, there's two in the Godhead. But then what we have to do, he says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. This is the first commandment. And that's what, that's what we've been studying. Let us approach God. But then what does it say after? And the second is like this. You shall love neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. That's what it says. There's no greater commandment. It's love neighbor as, as ourselves. Let's go to Hebrews 10 again. And now verse 24. Because then these follows. And let us be concerned about one another. And be stirring up one another unto love and good works. This is what we have to do. But there's an order. There's an order. The first order is everything that God has done for us. We read that. It's the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. It's his blood. It's his cleansing. It's the operation that they do when they call us, when they open up our minds so we can understand the scriptures as we read. And then they take us into, into this understanding Knowing our hearts, improving, testing our hearts in the fire, in the tribulations, but also in the, in, in the success, in the blessings, in the abundance also. That's, that's just as much of a test. But approaching God with a true heart, and that's what he's talking about. All of these things, for, with full conviction of faith, our hearts having been purified from a wicked conscience, our bodies having been washed with pure water, then we hold fast to that wavering. It's, it's first is approaching God and our relationship with God. That's the first and greatest commandment. But then there's a second one that is the second in importance. Let us be concerned about one another. Concerned about one another is caring about one another and asking how the other person is and helping, helping each other in the trials and the tribulations. And lifting one another up as the body of Christ. And be stirring up one another unto love and good works. Let's go to Ephesians 2. Ephesians 2.10. Another memory scripture. And we know. We know this is the process. It says, for we are his workmanship. Being created in Christ Jesus unto the good works. Those are those good works that we're to stir one another up in. That God ordained beforehand in order that we might walk in them. This is something that we walk in them, that we do. So it's what we believe in our hearts. is the cleansing of the heart, the cleansing of the mind, the operation of the spirit. But it's also stirring one another up into love and good works. But unless we're approaching God with a true heart, our carnality is going to surface first 
our carnal desires, our evil nature. All of these things are going to come first. And we're not going to be able to steer one another into love and good works. And sometimes we try, and we try with good intentions, but it just falls flat on your face. It falls flat on its face. That, that has happened to me many times, trying to encourage others to good works and to love. But if it's coming from my own, if it's not coming from God, if he's not giving me the wisdom to do it at a time and a place in a manner that he wants, it's of no avail. It's of no avail. If we're not doing the first things, if we're not approaching God first with a true heart, with full conviction of faith, being cleansed, being purified, being washed in the water by the word, and holding fast without wavering, being very anchored in the word of God, we are not going to be able to stir one another up into love and good works. God is the one that does that through us. We are the conduits of, the, of that love. It's like a branch. That's what Jesus Christ said. I am the vine. You are the branches. The branch doesn't do anything other than carry those nutrients. It carries those nutrients. It's not the source and it's not the end result. And neither are we. We're not the beginning. We're not the finisher. We're not the product. We're just to carry that, the, that love of God, that's that, 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 that good works through the Spirit of God. That's why the Spirit of God is likened unto water, and that's what runs in, 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 the, in the branches of the vines. So we have to be concerned about one another and be stirring up one another unto love and good works. And here in Hebrews 10, and verse 25, and this is a verse that we talk about often, and, and, and it's very important. It says, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, even as some are accustomed to do, but rather encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near, we are to assemble ourselves together. We are to do that. We, like, the, we know this scripture and we know what he tells us and we have to do it. We have to assemble together with brethren of like mind so that we can stir one another into love and good works. But the key is, that we all have to be approaching God first with a true heart. We all have to be have full conviction of faith. We all have to be washed. We all have to be doing. And we're going through this process together. Together. That's the reason why he says do not forsake the assembly. Because you're learning and you learn from one another. But we all have a responsibility to do that first. The strength of any group. The strength of any a group of brethren. It resides in the individual relationship that each one of us have with God. And, and, and the more that we study and the more that we pray and the more, we, the more we draw near to God, that's the strength of the group. The more that God is going to give collectively as well. If we're approaching God with a true heart and we're letting him work all these things in us, cleansing us, purifying, trying our heart, see what is there, see those secrets and cleansing it and establishing us on sound doctrine in the word of God. And we take the word of God at face value. And we take it what it says. And we, in, and we have the understanding that God gives us through his spirit to apply it in our lives. And to strive for that. And to strive to please God because we love him. Because that's the very beginning. And that's the first and greatest commandment. To love him with all our heart, all our mind, our soul, our strength. And that's what we have to do. So this not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, sometimes it goes both ways. Sometimes if we're forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, maybe it's because we're not doing the, the first things. But sometimes if we're doing those things, it will encourage us to do those other things. To not forsake the assembling of ourselves together. And then it would be truly rich. Because we've also been um, uh, in, maybe in, in organizations or, or churches or congregations where the opposite is. You still gather together, but there is none of these going. There is, like, we talk about everything except the Word of God. It's just a social club, as Fred has described it. Why? Because if we're not approaching God with a true heart, if we're not drawing near to God, if we're not being changed and cleansed and all of these things, we have nothing to bring to the table when we are with our brethren. But if we're studying, if we're praying, if we're drawing near to God, He will provide. He will provide the brethren. He will provide the assembly. He will provide the strength anchored in his word. 
and not to not to talk about things that are outside the word of god or things that 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 you that we cannot prove with the word of god and they're not that may or may not be the truth but they're just speculation but we cannot we cannot forsake the assembling of ourselves because it's not about how much we know we could say well, I can stay home. I can listen to five sermons. I can learn so much more. Maybe you can learn so much more. But it's not applying it. It's not stirring one another to love and good works. It's not actually where the rubber meets the road. Is when we have to deal with one another because we're all imperfect. And God is using us as a tool to shape each other out. And God wants us to be together. But he wants us first to come to him. He wants us first to be cleansed and all of that. And I, by no, by no means... Do I, do, do I mean that you have to be perfect before we, we come to church? No, no, absolutely not. Otherwise, nobody would be in any group because none of us are perfect yet. But we have to do step one and then we have to do step two also. Because it's about what we do and how God's shaping us. And that's part of the training and that's part of the refining when we're with our brethren. And when we have to talk about some things and some things that might be challenging or difficult, but have a true heart toward our brethren as well, with love, with compassion, with understanding, with mercy. That's what God wants. So as we come near now, the, the fall holy days, let us approach God with a true heart, with full conviction of faith, our hearts having been purified from a wicked conscience, and our bodies having been washed with pure water. Let's do these things. Let us approach God in the way that he wants for him to do and complete his good work that he began in us.